every person with a habit or addiction I work with, and there have been thousands, they, on some level, are the death of their next urge craving. And I get it because it has overpowered, I felt like it's overpowered us so many times in the past. But when we can start to see that we have veto power, you don't fear what's coming next so much. And oh my gosh, I mean, that's a, it's an amazing change to like just our, our moment to moment experience of life to say, anything come my way and I'll be okay. going on everybody thank you so much for joining yours truly ryan calajari on this week's episode of cut the crap podcast where every single week i'm reading a book condensing it down to its core golden nuggets i'm bringing the author on the show to have a conversation about the golden nuggets and we're every single week with you just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life if you love the show then please go online rate interview the show you know the deal you know the spiel Send me that rating in the review, and I'll make sure you get entered in the draw every quarter for a prize. I don't know what we're giving away this quarter. I'm holding off on that. I'll figure out something that's a kick-ass prize pretty soon, and I'll let you all know. But get your ratings in. Get your reviews in if you haven't done it yet. Also, don't forget to connect with me on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can see what I'm doing throughout the week. And last but not least, don't forget to go to CutTheCrapPodcast.com and sign up on the Summaries tab, and you'll get uh, the PDF summaries of each of these episodes delivered into your inbox very shortly. All right, what are we doing this week? So this week we're talking to Amy Johnson. She's a social psychologist. And she wrote a book called The Little Book of Big Change, The No Willpower Approach to Breaking Any Habit. Now I'm always interested in learning about how to break habits and I always want to read more about that. But when you say no willpower, I've always been a big supporter of people who use willpower and I've always talked about the importance of willpower. And Amy comes out and she says, you don't need willpower. There's something else that you need to focus on instead of willpower. So when I see that on the jacket, I got to reach out to her and I got to get her on the show to talk about this book and talk about her approach to how she changes habits. We all have bad habits. Some of us have good habits that help us, that move us forward in life. And some of us have bad habits that really hold us back in life from hitting our true potential. And again, any book, any book that's going to help me learn a little bit more about that, I'm always interested in. So without further ado, let's crack right into this one. Let's talk to Amy Johnson about her book, The Little Book of Big Change, The No Willpower Approach to Breaking Any Habit. And I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy, everyone. Amy, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Right on. Well, excited to have you. Thank you so much for making time for myself and for everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. And if there's something that Cut the Crap Podcast Nation knows a little bit about, it's about building mental toughness. We've been talking about this for many, many months now, and I was excited to read Amy's book to learn about how we can break any habit because we all have bad habits, right? All of us have bad habits. We have good habits, and if there's certain habits that we have that we want to break, then you know we need to have the right tools, the right perspective, the right mind frame in order to do that and having that self-awareness. So that's why, Amy, I'm really excited to get you on the show today. But before we crack into your book, maybe just give us a quick description in terms of uh, who you are, what you do, and why you wrote the book in the first place. Sure. Well, I am, I am a psychologist, and 
uh, a teacher of this awesome stuff. I wrote the book because I struggled with a lot of habits and anxiety myself, um, mental habits and physical habits for a long time. And I, like many people, went out running around doing everything I could find to do, you know, doing all the right steps and the right processes and strategies and all of that good stuff. And usually just found myself exhausted at the end of all that without a lot of deep, lasting change um, until I came across what I share now. And then I did have deep, lasting change. So I'm, I'm super passionate about sharing that. Right on. And again, this is all about learning from other experiences. And Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, I always tell you, there's so much that we can learn, right? We can we can learn in isolation, but by learning from the experience of others, it can just really accelerate change. So why don't we crack into it? So goal and nugget number one, we talk about bad habits, and bad habits indicate mental wellness. So when I first saw that, I was a little bit confused, because contrary to popular belief, bad habits and addictive behaviors, they're not actually symptoms of illnesses, Can you go into a little bit more detail on that and explain it for us? Yeah. So, you know, our habits are are so misunderstood. Of course, of course, we all see our bad habits and we think, I don't like that I do this. This is a problem, right? It's just the most common sense thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But when we look even just one little, little layer deeper and get curious about why this thing is coming up, I mean, our habits truly are our best attempt in a moment to feel better. Now, people don't like to hear that that doesn't always sit well because we're we're smarter than that right right away we think like one of my habits was binge eating i had all kinds of crazy food and eating habits and i mean in an instant i'd be like are you kidding me this this makes me suffer like even if even if i could kind of see yeah there is some discomfort and then i do this habit and then i feel a little bit better that wasn't satisfactory enough because in the bigger picture i knew better right but but it's it's helpful to see like no if from what we see it's not it's not like what do we know from our wise selves it's like in that little moment whatever we're doing we're not doing stuff to hurt ourselves we're thinking that that there's a there's a pro to everything you know even if it's a really kind of crappy one in the big picture so our habits are our mental wellness and that they're our best attempt. Like we're always trying to get to a nicer feeling, to a nicer place, back home. And these habits, as much as they hurt us, no question in the big picture, in that moment, it's the best we can see to get a little bit closer to home. So if someone's procrastinating, for example, usually they are so caught up, whether they know it or not, they, they are caught up in so much thinking about this thing that they think they have to do right? It's going to be hard. I don't want to do it. Or I don't know how to do it. Or this sucks. Or I don't like this task or whatever it is. Like there's some stuff going on again, conscious or not. And so by them procrastinating, like it's just too much. And so that is the easiest, most relief kind of leaning thing that they can see to do in that moment is to not do it. So there's always a, a healthy, like it always makes sense on some level. When we, If we could get into someone's head and see exactly how they're feeling and seeing things, everything we do makes sense. Mm. It's just that we don't, you know, we see it from the outside and then we say, oh, you're a lazy procrastinator. <laughs> and we think that about ourselves. But That's really, right. like, no, there's, a, there's common sense in everything we're doing if we can really get in there and see it. Interesting. Right on. 
So gold nugget number two, we talk a little bit about willpower and that willpower is not an effective tool for overcoming bad habits. So again, we have yeah. this this idea that is, you know, kind of in conflict with popular belief. And I found it interesting to learn that relying on willpower alone doesn't end a bad habit and that it can actually reinforce a bad habit instead. So tell us how that makes sense. What, what's, the, what's the reasoning behind that? Okay, so let's look at the procrastination example. So if someone is um, supposed to be studying for an exam and um, they have all this thinking, right? They're like, they don't want to do it. They might fail. They're afraid, all this kind of stuff. Mm. Well, the thing, like the, the thing that makes the most sense to them on some level is to just avoid the whole thing. Mm. Now, if they go in with willpower and they say, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to push through. Mm-hmm. It's not that willpower doesn't sometimes help in a moment. So there, there may be a moment, and I think it's kind of a roll of the dice when we might, when maybe it's like, okay, enough already, and we can kind of see through our stuff and we just do what we need to do. So sometimes that'll work, but really, what willpower is is adding more thinking to an already very busy mind. Hmm. So it's like, no, I'm not going to give in. I'm going to just do it. Now, now for the average person, what that then for anybody over time. What that kind of harsh self-talk does is add more. And when we get more and more overwhelmed, what do you want to do? Procrastinate more. So it actually kind of starts to push us toward our habit. Another common example where people can see this really easily is dieting or or even like not smoking. When we're really like rigid, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to smoke that, whatever, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Like what that like, yeah, it can get us through a moment and it can get us through a few moments. But if you do that over and over and over, what you're doing is being so hard and rigid on yourself. And that's what these habits are for to begin with. It, remember, is to kind of give us a little bit of relief is to kind of quiet our mind a little bit. So it just doesn't make sense to add more, you know, in hopes that that's going to lead to some lasting freedom. Very interesting. See, I always looked at willpower as, as something that was very positive. And of course, it's very positive in the right context. But when it comes yeah. to bad habits uh, and how willpower can actually reinforce that, it was a new thought for me and a, and a different perspective. And I never really looked at it that way before. So with these first two golden nuggets in that bad habits indicate mental wellness and that willpower isn't an effective tool for overcoming bad habits, how did you come to those discoveries? Because they do go kind of spit in the face of, of, of common logic and that people think, well, to get over bad habits, you need willpower and bad habits are, uh, it demonstrates, you know, mental weakness and, and, and illness. How'd you come to this position that really is in conflict with the way that we see the world today? Yeah. Well, I saw that the way we see human psychology today is pretty off. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's based on like their, their, are these issues that we need to get in and fix. Mm -hmm. So from that model, from this kind of traditional, like even if we just look at traditional psychology, and I won't take us too deep into all this, but (laughs) just traditional psychology kind of takes this medical sort of approach, medical model kind of approach, right? Where humans can be sick and ill and flawed, and we need to get in and give them something, strategies, medicine, whatever it is, to kind of fix these issues. Mm -hmm. Well, that hasn't gone so well, like we can all see that there's some truth in that and to some extent, but we can also, at least people in psychology can see uh, we're not doing so great, really. Right. So, so it, it, what I started to see, and I didn't come up with this, I saw this from my own spiritual and psychological practices, is that 
we're actually okay by nature hmm. and that and habit free by nature and we will do the right things do things that are healthy and good for us by nature by design but we don't do that often we don't do those things often because when we get caught in our heads again when there's a lot of thinking going on we take that really seriously and personally and it starts to look like a big problem that we need to fix hmm. so we bring in our willpower we bring in our our medication we bring in our tools and strategies and all this work and we try to fix something that isn't really a problem so much to begin with it's just it's just experience moving through us but we you know, like an, an urge to procrastinate, for example, or an urge to eat a bunch of sugary food when you don't want to be doing that. Like those are thoughts, feelings, cravings that move through us. Mm. But we've been kind of fed this line of like, that's bad. Right. So we jump on it and we try to willpower it to death and then we make it worse. When what if it wasn't such a problem to begin with? You know, if I was overweight and I, and I had, a, had an eating problem, and an eating disorder, and I just I loved eating sugary foods. I loved drinking soda every single day. Those are bad habits that are having negative consequences on my life. And despite the fact that it's making me happy in the short term, you know, it it has long term consequences on my health. Um, you yeah. know, th those are negative things, though, right? So how can those things be seen as 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 good? I guess, or am I just seeing it wrong? Yeah. Well, no, it's just looking at a slightly different place. So. Absolutely, the habits are have really destructive implications. They have bad consequences, no doubt about it. But again, it's about seeing like what that habit is built upon is is not feeling well and then turning to food as a fix to mm. something that we view as a problem. Right. That was me for eight years. I didn't feel comfortable. And then I would not feel comfortable because I was thinking I wanted food. And that, and it just, it just built on itself. Right. And all it ever was was a healthy person mm. who was caught in a bunch of thinking, a bunch of experience moving uh. through me that I thought I needed to go out and grab this thing and fix. And then I ate too much, so I, now I need to diet to fix that. <laughs> and it, it was a mess, you know, and that's what we get. <laughs> when we when we go from this extreme to that extreme to willpower to starvation to <laughs> deprivation you know like if we can just quiet down it writes itself wow interesting perspective now i really love that amy and it is different it's not something that we hear very often it's always you know you got a problem you got to yeah. fix it and you got to you got to willpower it to death and you can see that it doesn't really work that often now does it right you look at New no. Year's resolutions and how people approach things. And, you know, I just need to have willpower and, and, and grit and I'm going to make it happen. And come February, March, what happened? Really nothing happened. 17 days. Yeah. The average New Year's resolution lasts 17 days. And that's exactly why. We're not actually changing. We're just trying to, to force ourselves into some new rule. That's right. That's exactly right. So golden nugget number three, let's talk a little bit about the lower brain and now breaking habits. So first introduce us, because I don't think a lot of people in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation uh, know what the lower brain is all about. So tell us about the lower brain, how it influences us, and then tell us how we can begin to break bad habits enforced by the lower brain. Yeah. So our lower brain is basically um, 
the really like her whole brain is a computer. It's a machine. And I love thinking of it that way because I mean, it's a really, really good machine, but, but we give, we, we associate it with who we are and all of this lofty stuff. I mean, come on, it's an organ. It's a, it's a machine. (laughs) So the lower brain is the really machine like part. I mean, that's like the, just kind of like an alarm clock. It just does what it's programmed to do end of story. And the purpose of the, one of the main purposes of the lower brain is to keep us alive and keep us safe. And so it just starts to learn when we kind of have these habits and we feel a little bit closer to home when we go eat or procrastinate or avoid or whatever, our brain kind of lower brain, especially kind of picks up on that. So it gives us more desire to do that thing because Mm. it is really simply because it felt good at one point or it felt better at one point. So now we're, we have this alarm clock basically in our brain with our lower brain, which is just putting out these alarm signals to, again, in my case, it was to, if I didn't feel well, to go eat a bunch of food. Mm-hmm. And it, it's such a, you know, the purpose of this, this lower brain is to keep us alive. So it's like the fight or flight response. And right. this is why our habits and addictions feel so overwhelming to even the person with the most willpower, the most common sense. Like those things can't really match, you know, this is our body, our brain trying to keep us alive, it thinks. And Mm. so it's, that's why the stuff feels so strong. So this is the, the lizard brain, correct? Yeah. So the the lizard brain, again, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, you've heard this before. We talked about this with Seth Godin a number of months ago when he was on the podcast talking about linchpin and talking about the lizard brain and how it holds us back. It wants to keep us safe. It wants to be, it's the lizard brain's hungry. It wants to be safe. It, it, uh, it, it gets angry. And it's that, that really primitive part of our brain, um, that is very controlling of us. And it's very difficult for us to control it, but it all starts with self-awareness, knowing that it exists first and knowing that it has a role and that this thing in your mind, um, it plays a significant role in controlling your behavior. Having that awareness first is really important. So again, I'm really glad that we're talking about that. So now that we know that the lizard brain exists, this lower brain, how can we begin to break habits enforced by the lower brain enforced by the lizard brain? Yeah. Well, for me and for a lot of people I work with, it, it was something like, like, I'm not going to say it like they're, okay, here's what you do. Right. But, but what starts to happen, I think, is when we understand this, when we see, okay, this is happening, and very importantly, we see no matter what my lower brain is doing or telling me to do, I don't have to do it. Mm. Like, there's an us that's way bigger <laughs> than this machine in our heads. So when we can see, yeah, my machine, you know, is a little wonky. It tells me to do these things frequently, and it and it even, you know, tries to hijack my emotions and my physical body and get everything on board to go eat, drink, smoke, procrastinate, whatever. I don't. I can see something about that, and mm. I, it's not forcing me to do anything. Right. And now that can sound like white knuckling. So it's not like okay, sit in this horrible hijacked torture, you know, but, but just ride it out because it'll end. I mean, that's true. It will end, but that's, that's almost a little more like willpower. That's not nice, but Mm -hmm. it's like insightfully seeing and people kind of have these insights around this. Like, wow, 
my brain tells me to do stuff all the time. My brain's always talking to me about all kinds of garbage. And I don't have to listen. I, it's not me. And I don't mm-hmm. have to take it seriously. And something about that, it, it gives a space. You know, there's like a space between it and us, the wise us. And people just see. That's kind of that pause that I think we're going to talk about. It's like, That's wow, right. I don't have to do what it tells me. That's exactly right. And it's funny. We, we just had uh, Ruth Bayer on the show, and she was talking about her book, The Practicing Happiness Workbook. And one of the things that she was talking about and I was sharing stories about was urges and fighting these urges. And I'll often put myself – and I, I talked about this last week at the Crap Podcast Nation, but I want to repeat it again because it's important and it, it, it fits this this dialogue very nicely And that – I always set up these artificial hills for myself. And I call them hills because I want to put myself through these little challenges where I'm challenging my mind. And my mind is saying, Ryan, stop. Ryan, don't do this. Ryan, take a breather. Ryan, you shouldn't do this. Ryan, it's too hot outside. Because just this past week, it was uh, maybe about 120 degrees Fahrenheit outside, uh, 44 degrees Celsius. And I was running maybe, I don't know, about six miles, uh, well, actually in total about 12 miles in this ridiculous heat. And I said, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run to the gym, then run back home. Uh, well, obviously work out at the gym too. And the entire way my body was saying, no, it's too hot. It, don't do this. You're tired. You're sweating. You should turn back now, take a breather. So all this time, and I know my limits as far as what I'm capable of doing. And so I like to push myself. And by having this kind of inner dialogue with your brain, it, it almost gives you this empowerment, this power to say, listen, my mind is going to tell me to take it easy, to relax, to, to stop, to not go so fast. But I don't have to listen to that voice. I don't have to give in to those urges, whether it's a simple urge uh, such as to watch TV or another urge to say, hey, Ryan, take a breather for a second. You should do that. I know what I'm capable of. And so by putting myself through these hills, I better prepare myself for these mountains and I, I can have greater control over my mind. And I really think that that's very similar here in that we can take control over our mind when our mind's telling us to do certain things when, in fact, maybe we don't want to do them. Yeah. And I, you know, just one thing I would kind of add to that is I think, um, I think it, it, it's very, very helpful to see that our lower brain, you know, we don't need to like overpower it or control. I mean, I know that's just one way of kind of talking about it, but it it does have our best interest at heart. It's just not a very wise machine. It's a very (laughs) smart machine, but it's not wise. You know, it can't see the bigger picture. So I, I just love, and I've seen people find a lot of value in kind of seeing, oh, like, this lizard's trying to save me, <laughs> but, but it's okay, buddy. Like I'm, I got this, you know, you're, you don't need to talk anymore. And, and almost just having like a softness to it because sometimes when it is like, no, I got that, you know, it's like that lizard will get louder sometimes right. when it feels like it's being threatened or trying to be controlled. Right. Very interesting. Well, that kind of takes us to golden nugget number four, which says doing nothing, the power in the pause. So when you experience an urge, something we've been talking about already, when you experience this urge to give in to a certain habit, the best thing that you can do is simply pause. So go into detail a little bit more for us about this pause. The pause, again, it's it's kind of um, kind of back to that insight we were talking about. Like when we deeply see that we have this constant chatter and these constant mm-hmm. urges and pulls coming from within us that we don't need to listen to that are not always in our wisest interest, There, there's almost a space and a pause that starts to happen. Hmm. And then we, from our own wisdom and common sense, get to take action or not take action and let all that quiet down. So sometimes the pause, you know, I just 
the pause can almost be become like a strategy. People are like, okay, when I feel this, then I'm going to pause and do nothing. And again, that <laughs> I'm not saying that won't sometimes work, but it's going to be like willpower. Like now we're using resources. Now, you know, it's going to be, okay, on a lot of days you probably can do that. But, but it's a different thing to come at it as a strategy than it is to come at it um, by seeing that, okay, a pause is the natural implication of seeing that we aren't our brain. Mm. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, like absolutely. the pause grows for us. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense though. But something I want to talk about too, when we're talking about the power of uh, the pause is this idea that along with free will, humans have free won't. When I read that, it was very interesting. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I love that term. It's a kind of neuroscience term. Um, that, that basically speaks to exactly what we're talking about. So free won't is kind of this idea that our, our brain can toss out stuff, whatever that is, suggestions, demands, it can feel like at times, opinions, all kinds of stuff. And we essentially have veto power. Hmm. Like we are bigger than that and we don't have to buy it and we don't have to do what it tells us to do. And, and, you know, not in an us versus them way. Again, that's sometimes <laughs> not. We can we, people can see it that way and set it up in their minds, and that doesn't usually help help as much as seeing this. Like, wow, isn't that fascinating? Mm. Isn't that cool that we have this machine that that's trying to help us and doing the absolute best it can? But that there's something bigger than a human brain that can see the human brain, what it's tossing out, and say no, thank you. <laughs> I love that. You know, and that <laughs> I mean, that's so powerful. Yeah, I really like that. And the more you really embrace that veto power that, that, that you say, the weaker your urges become. And once you weaken yeah. those urges, um, those negative thoughts, they create a lot less tension, a lot less discomfort. And uh, it's just something that we have to get into, again, the habit of, of exercising, exercising this veto power. And to me, again, it's all about empowerment and the fact that we have all these tools and these options and these choices readily readily available to us. It is empowering, and I truly love that, the veto yeah. power, the free won't. It was a new term for me, and I truly love that. It's really empowering because what it also does for people is it helps us to not fear our experiences. Mm. Every person with a habit or addiction I work with, and there have been thousands, they, on some level, are the death of their next urge breathing, and I get it because it has overpowered or felt like it's overpowered us so many times in the past. But when we can start to see that we have veto power, you don't fear what's coming next so much. And oh my gosh, I mean, that's a, it's an amazing change to like just our, our moment to moment experience of life to that's say right. anything come my way and I'll be okay. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Golden nugget number five, we talk a little bit about setbacks and you say that setbacks are meaningless and I couldn't agree with you more. And the fact that, uh, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, again, I'm going to address you here because you know, all of you who've been listening for so long, one of my mantras, one of the things that I truly believe in, and anytime something bad happens in my life, I always say this, it's not a setback, it's a setup for something greater. So when you mentioned setbacks in the book, I was really excited to talk to you about that because it's just something we talk a lot about here. And the fact that when people reach a setback in life they can get really emotionally distraught over it and you know they go through that 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 time of stress and they say oh you know what all the work that i've done to this point it's 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 for no good i'm just worthless i'm never going to be able to, to achieve this and they give into that setback 
So talk to us a little bit about that idea of dealing with setbacks and the fact that they're actually meaningless. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, again, if we just look at it in, in brain terms for a second, all a setback is, like, let's say you've, you've been seeing some stuff about how your brain works and you've been, you know, feeling more of a pause and just doing what you know to do and letting this stuff move through you and not acting on it. And then one day you're having, you're, maybe you're tired or grumpy or you just have a little, you know, weak moment and your brain tosses out some, your lower brain tosses out some suggestion and you take the bait. Mm. Literally, like all that happened <laughs> was you got caught up in a thought that floated through your head in that moment. That's right. And that happens to human beings all day, every day, all the time. Like it is kind of the definition of being a human being, you know? So it's so, it's so funny in a way. And, and also we all get it, you know, how we can pick out one little moment, one little thought or feeling or behavior in a moment. And our mind will just spin this huge, meaningful story, like all the stuff you just said of what it means and what it doesn't mean. And, and, it, and oh my gosh, I mean, it just completely derails people and it's based on nothing. It's just one faulty interpretation. So I love just seeing, yeah, like it's, it's it, one of the metaphors I love for this too, is like, if you, if you live in a house for years and then you move across town, chances are you might be leaving work or leaving the grocery store one day and you drive to your old house because mm. you're just not thinking. Right. Would you sit in the driveway and say, oh, I guess I'm just meant to live here. I guess this is just the how I should have never moved. You know, <laughs> see, awesome. see, look at who did I think I was to move? No, you'd laugh at yourself, you know, and it's literally like the exact same thing happening within us when we have a setback for a habit or an addiction. So if we can start to see it that way, it set us up in your terms to, to see what's going on just a little bit deeper. And then we just move on. I mean, and it, it does nothing to harm us if we don't let it. I love that metaphor. That metaphor is awesome. So good. good because it? It's so good because it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's, it makes perfect sense in the fact that, you know, it's something so meaningless, but yet we build this up to be something so dramatic and so you know, destructive to us. And I always say, just get back on the horse people. And again, let's go back to the 17 days, right? People work out in January and they hit the gym. And I always say, listen, like you go to the gym, you fall off the horse, big deal. Get back on the horse. Everybody falls off the horse. Anybody who, anybody who's, who's a professional bodybuilder, even they have their moments of weakness, but they don't, don't quit. They go back to it. And your story of driving up to your old driveway of your house, it just, it, it, it painted such a, a clear picture. And Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, again, we're always looking for stories, for metaphors, things that help us make sense of life. And that little metaphor that Amy just shared with us is so powerful. And I hope that you all remember that when you face a setback in life. So in golden nugget number six, our last golden nugget here, we want to talk about the eyes of a child. So breaking habits over the long term, it requires really changing your perspective on them. And again, I love the idea of talking about perspective and shifting your perspective because a shift in perspective can do a lot for your life. So talk to us about yeah. seeing the world through the eyes of a child as a way to shift our perspective. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's kind of like <laughs> kind of like the driveway metaphor. It's right. like if we didn't if we didn't have so much meaning, assumption, expectation, made up story associated with so much of our lives, we, we'd be like kids who haven't come up with all that stuff yet. <laughs> and they just kind of, you know, float through life and they, 
they do things that make sense to them and they do what occurs to them. Mm-hmm. And they have all kinds of things that a brain, a mind could call a setback, but they don't call it that. So they just get up and try it again, you know, <laughs> and it's like the eyes of a child thing. It's just so fascinating mm-hmm. to me that we call children resilient. They are resilient. We see it in them. But the only difference between it's not like we it's not like our resilience expires at a certain age. Mm-hmm. The only reason why children are so resilient versus adults is that they just they haven't yet learned to cling to all their thoughts that come up that kind of take them away from that. So resilience is our nature. We're all resilient, but but we think our way out of it, basically, as we get older and and accumulate more knowledge. That's exactly right. Yeah, children live in the moment, and they don't dwell like all of us adults do obsessively on their thoughts. And, you know, they don't think about their thinking, essentially, is one of the things that you said in the book, and I really love that. And for me, reading this, this part of the book was really impactful for me because when a child falls down do they say well i tried to walk and it just doesn't work so i'm just going to continue to crawl for the rest of my life like of course not they just continue to try they continue to try they continue to try and i love that 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 imagery that it creates for us because how often do we as adults everyone out there listening right now cut the crap podcast nation how often do we try things how often do we try things and give up immediately and we say well i tried it just wasn't worth it and i, I just can't do it and this idea of looking through the eyes of a child. You know, the child doesn't put these thoughts on themselves and say, I can't do this. It's impossible. I can't do this. They simply feel what they feel and they move on. And I really think that yeah. that's something that we have to adopt more. So, yeah, totally. And it's in us. It's, it's our nature. It's in us. We've just kind of thought our way out of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And again, it's just something, too, that I really thought was impactful is that when we keep rehashing these old thoughts associated with our habits um, we're not living in the present and we're causing so much pain to ourselves. and you know rather than clinging to these painful memories we need to be sure we're doing our best to clear our minds open ourselves up to new possibilities and the possibilities the future brings to us and again that's something that really when we look at a child a child really has this built into them innately and I think we kind of lose that as we get older and this reminder to see things through the eyes of a child was a really big reminder for me. It's something that I encourage everyone just to sit down and ponder on a little bit more because it truly is a game changer if you think about it a little bit more deeply. The Little Book of Big Change, The No Willpower Approach to Breaking Any Habit by Amy Johnson. Amy, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show today talking about something that I believe that all of us face, all of us need to deal with, all of us work through, and um, I hope this stimulus really made an impact on uh, a number of our listeners and uh, I know it did I know it had a big impact on me so thank you so much for coming on the show and for anybody who wants to be in touch with you for anyone who wants to read anything that you're putting out there how can they do that uh, my main website is dramyjohnson.com just dramyjohnson.com so that's the best place to go and there's lots of stuff there awesome perfect well again Amy thank you so much for making time for myself and for everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation it's a true pleasure having you on the show thank you so much it was great to talk with you alright there we have it that was Amy Johnson the little book of big change the no willpower approach to breaking any habit if you love this episode then please go online rate and review the show 
And uh, don't forget, send me your screen capture of that rating of that review to podcast at briancalajury.com. And I'll make sure you enter the draw every quarter for a prize. Also, don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can see what Ryan's doing throughout the week. And last but not least, go to cutthecrappodcast.com and sign up on the summaries tab for your PDF summaries. And I'll make sure that gets delivered into your inbox when they're ready. All right, that's a wrap, everybody. So I will catch you back here next week. We have a brand new book. Brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with an author. And of course, you know what I'm doing every single week. Just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Have an awesome, productive, inspired week, everybody. I love you all. Take a drink with your friends, and somebody says, yeah, we should go skydiving tomorrow. <laughs> and you go, yeah, we'll go skydiving tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, and you go, yeah, and everybody goes, yeah. So then that night, you're laying in your bed, and you just keep, <laughs> <laughs> and you're terrified. You keep imagining over and over again jumping out of an airplane, and you can't figure out why you would do that. And you're laying there, and you have the worst night's sleep of your life. You wake up the next day and you go, you know, down and you say where you were going to meet and everybody's there. So you get in the van and you don't know that your friends had the same night that you had because they're pretending like they didn't. They're like, yeah, man, my uncle's a Navy SEAL. And, you know, this is going to be great. I've been looking forward to this. And you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And your stomach is terrible. You can't eat and everything. But you don't want to be the only punk who doesn't jump out of this airplane. So you get there. And then you have this safety brief and you're standing there and the guys will tell you, well, if the chute doesn't open, what's going to happen is you're doing you. Well, well, why the hell, what could happen? (laughs) So you fly and you go up, you go up, you go up, you go up to 14,000 feet and you notice there's a, a, a light. It's red and it's yellow and green, right? So right now the light's red. So then you start thinking at some point the light's going to go green because you don't know what's going to happen, right? And you wait and it goes yellow and the light goes green and somebody opens the door and in that moment you realize you've never been in a freaking airplane with the door open and you go and the guy walks you up to the end of the thing and you're standing and your toes are on the edge and you're looking out down to death and they say on three and they say one two and he pushes you on two because people grab on three and you go and you fall out of the airplane and in one second you realize that it's the most blissful experience of your life you're flying right it doesn't feel like falling right it's like you actually are kind of held a little bit by the wind and then you start and you you start falling you falling and you There's zero fear. You realize that the point of maximum danger is the point of minimum fear. It's bliss. It's bliss. And you're flying. (laughs) Right? And you're doing that. And then 20 seconds, 25 seconds, 40 seconds. And you have enough time to just kind of be like, oh, shit, that's that building. That's not like that one. See the ocean. And the, the lesson for me was, why were you scared in your bed the night before? Why did you, what do you need that fear for? Why are you scared in your bed 16 hours before you jump? Why are you scared in the car? Why could you not enjoy breakfast? What, 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 what did you need that? The 
Fear is fear of what? You're nowhere even near the airplane. Everything up to the stepping out, there's actually no reason to be scared. It only just ruins your day. You're, you don't have to jump. And then in that moment, all of a sudden where you should be terrified is the most blissful experience of your life. And God placed the best things in life on the other side of terror. On the other side of your maximum fear are all of the best things in life.